0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of This is Revolution podcast. Before I went on the air, I was called by the original co-host of this show, my son, Phoenix. He wants to say hi. You want to say hi to everybody? You want to cover, uncover your mouth and say hi. Okay, say hi okay i'll call you when the show's over okay i love you press red that was a unexpected phone call usually he's pretty good about knowing what time the show starts he knows it's every tuesday didn't even care but thank you all for joining us this evening before we start if you are new to the channel please hit subscribe and don't forget to hit that notification bell so you are alerted whenever we go live we're constantly adding fall streams with other channels and adding new shows thursday will be our bi-monthly new show with the guys from left reckoning revolutionary reckoning where we will talk about more evergreen topics. I'm sure someone will talk about election night. Oh, is election night. And many shows are doing coverage tonight, mostly of federal races, probably with some local ones that are more important in major metropolitan areas are more important. We didn't want to do a show like that tonight. We are not anti-electoral politics in the slightest here at TIR. We just chose not to do it done it in the past here i just wanted to do something a little different tonight uh so if you enjoy what you get here on tir and have the means become a patron you'll get access to the exclusive champagne room. you can join us for our movie nights as low as three dollars a month or thirty dollars a year it can all be yours pascal and mt have the night off tonight so it's just be you, and me, and my good friend and special guest tonight as well. For now. Uh, and we're going to be talking a little bit of music and a little bit of capitalism. Oh, yeah. Uh, recently, I came across an interesting article about what kind of artists are on the massive music streaming platform Spotify. I wasn't that surprised to read that the music streaming site is storing mostly smaller independent artists that lack major label support and have fewer than one million plays. Okay, is this a problem? And if so, why? What I found mildly shocking was the language that was used by industry higher-ups about housing so much independent music. Here's a quote from the article uh, from Universal Music Group's Vice President of Digital Strategy, Michael Nash. The streaming platforms right now are flooded by a tidal wave of content as millions of creators are getting access. But these are essentially content uploaders. They're not artists in the sense that we traditionally think of artists. Nearly 80% of this multi-million creator uploading pool has a monthly audience of less than 15 listeners. In fact, 90% of these creators have fewer than 400 monthly listeners. That's 400 monthly listeners out of an audience of over 400 million on just Spotify alone. So just to put a data point behind that, that means 90% of these uploaders are engaging less than 1 million of the platform. These are hobbyists that are playing to an essentially empty house.
1: Nash put it bluntly that
0: a lot of the material uploaded is just noise and not by anyone that actually intends to be an artist. What is interesting, uh, it, it was an interesting kind of way of looking at it because then it brings up the idea of what constitutes an artist and who actually has the right to be on streaming services. And that's a really big conversation that sort of threatens the entire idea of the internet being a place where we can, ex- where one can express their art without having to overcome some threshold. For those that are not musicians and wonder how easy or difficult it is to get music on streaming platforms, to get on any platform outside of something like Bandcamp, you need to go through a distributor, and they will collect royalties for you. And we can get into that a bit later. But the point I'm trying to make here is that these hobbyists are still paying not a lot of money, but some money to have their music featured on these streaming platforms. Sites like Pandora have an approval process and take a fewer amount of submitted music. But what happens to the artists that get their music on Spotify? Well, it's still a bit of a pay-to-play game, and the major labels are still wielding power. Even in the imagined Wild West freedom of the internet from a review of the book spotify teardown drawing on an experiment that used bot listeners to track streams the authors visually represent how its algorithm produced music loops that displayed a repeated pattern with only slight variations according to which artist the radio station was based on not only did these loops look more or less the same independent of bot characteristics but user feedback or thumbs up thumbs down or skip did not produce significant differences in the results. Their experiment confirms that Spotify has exaggerated its computational claims on its radio function, while also corroborating user complaints about Spotify's radio repetitiveness and recommendation inaccuracy. More pro- provocatively, Spotify Teardown questions the normative claim that the radio algorithm should produce apt recommendations. Recommendation in accuracy may drive users away from its free service and toward a paid subscription. It may also encourage users to stream Spotify's featured playlists instead of its radio function. And finally, it might be a covert way to promote more established and financially well-supported major label artists at the expense of independent and emerging musicians or neglected genres with economic ramifications. Independent of its accuracy, personalization is critical to Spotify's marketing and business model. Spotify Teardown explains that the trope of personalization encourages users to develop a sense of intimacy with Spotify. For example, commercial playlists are marketed as mixtapes, adding a nostalgic and effective value to what are actually closer to compilation albums, wherein business-related aspects are more important than the creative process. In addition, the assumption that more input in Spotify's algorithm will produce increasingly accurate future recommendations compels users to do so this means more revenue for spotify because data produced from usage is used to lure advertisers while personalization remains significant for spotify it has since de-emphasized its radio functionality in favor of in-house playlists and new computational recommendation formats based on taste profiles song identification and digital fingerprints Well, with all this said, let's bring in our guest tonight, He's one of my very good friends. He's been in and affiliated with countless bands in this moment, Fear Factory Pathology, just in a few. He's in an amazing death metal band with his lovely wife. Please welcome from all the way live from a secret bunker somewhere in the southwest. Pascual. Romero! <laughs> Hey, hey. <laughs> What's up,
1: dude? Oh, not much. Just surviving, you know. Doing my
0: thing. Dad shit. <laughs> both Lots we, of dad shit. We both got thrown off with dad shit. Yep. Pres- Esqual had pre-show dad shit, and I got, right as I was about to start the show, um, my lovely son... Who sadly lives 600 miles north of me Wanted to call And I promised him I would take every call So Sorry guys nothing stops for For uh, I, I can't put the boy on hold So Nah So, so Spotify And independent artists um, I did write out a question for you while there is so much talk about streaming platforms ripping off artists and the death of terrestrial radio. It feels to me like radio is moving into more of a talk format. And the idea of your own personally curated station has a lot more allure than an ad filled radio that is playing much less new music anyway. In your opinion, is Spotify bad for independent artists? Um, no, no, I don't. I don't
1: think it is inherently bad, um, for, for indie music. Um, in fact, uh, those of us who had the pleasure of trying to do music for a living as far back as the nineties, remember, um, how bad radio was for indie music, uh, oh God, because yes. it was extraordinarily difficult to get music on the radio. Um, you know, maybe local college stations, but it was, uh, you, you would not hear yourself on, you know, mainstream stations as a local, um, but uh you know spotify itself it's just hard for me to blame them but i kind of take the same view of them that i do of kind of how social media at large is where it's like you know it's they're all bastards like there's you we can split hairs over who the good ones are versus the bad ones but i mean that's there's just bad and worse really Mm -hmm. but uh but as far as how it's affected indie, no, i actually think that one of the the you know silver linings is that there's better access to music um you know because of spotify um you know and platforms like it which you know again it's like do i agree with the way they do things hell no but um, (laughs) i you know what can i say it's like how else um you know is the general public gonna find stuff you know
0: and and that's like my my big beef it's like um as a as an independent, well, I, I I don't like to say independent artist anymore because I don't feel like um, I'm doing all the things that I did when I was an artist. When I met you, I'm not doing all the touring. I think part of being an artist is getting your music out there. And if you think that the only way you're going to get your music out there is via a streaming platform, I think you're kind of sadly mistaken. Um, you know, originally, um, the death of music was supposed to be recorded music right people really understand that you know sheet music was the way to go you know some time ago people wrote songs and you sold it it became sheet music so people could play it and live is where you had to get your your music enjoyment and I, i didn't write this question out but i think it's it's constantly part of a conversation that you and i probably are constantly having you know, we could throw Conan Neutron in the mix. I'm having this with him as well. And whoever else is listening or watching the show, that's uh, that's an artist, which is, uh, how much do you really rely on a streaming platform and how much do even, you know, major label artists rely on a streaming platform? Because ultimately the radio was, you know, getting paid from your song on the radio, is still a relatively newer phenomenon the radio playing music is a newish, you know, you're in your grandparents' time, there was a moment where the radio didn't play music. At one point in time, the radio, like, boycotted uh, the publishing platforms because of, you know, not wanting to pay out royalties. Yep. So I've always felt like as a smaller artist that doesn't have major label capital or even um big sponsorship dollars uh w- a- another thing a lot of people don't know is patreon and i don't know if you remember this patreon started as a music site because the guy yep. that started patreon was in a band that yep. is a f- kind of a famous <laughs> failure <laughs> of, a, of yep. a band uh they had a song on a commercial it, the song blew up in the sense of they had a lot of popularity because it was a, a national ad for, I think, a, a cell phone. They went on a huge tour where they bought a van with their advance money and all this new equipment to play to nobody because a commercial does not equal quote-unquote commercial <laughs> success, right? <Yeah>. And uh, <laughs> and they they fizzled out, but that, that guy started Patreon, which I remember getting Uh, uh, emails and ads about Patreon like this is a great way for artists you're going to constantly make money because people can pay a monthly fee and I never saw the value as a consumer to pay a band $5 a month because how much content can a band create and then if you're an unknown band i.e. myself um, who really gives a damn about the behind-the-scenes making the album stories, you know, right? So, right. I mean,
1: yeah. <clears throat> yeah you don't <laughs> like to. <clears throat> it, it's. I I understand the thought behind it, but it's like you you can't um you know you don't subscribe to an artist just being an artist you know you 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 historically and and again I've I've said this a bunch of times I know I've said this on your show Um, you know where we are in music is in this tiny little blip in the history of music that from the moment recorded music began to now is like the tiniest little sliver that could have not even existed given you know just a handful of variables and so the fact that there is an industry at all is already kind of a mind-blowing thing you know Mm -hmm. maybe not for the better but um so it's kind of i don't know i it's it it's i don't like to call it entitled because that's a weird thing to say about an artist that's struggling but Mm -hmm. um you kind of have to look at art as an artist as something that is not intrinsically a commodity like you 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 have to force it into being a commodity commodity. And people have to decide that it's a commodity, you know, this yeah. is, this isn't like a something you put in a box and put on a shelf um, and, and advertise in the same way you would like a box of macaroni, you know? And, and so it, it, because it's art, it's, it's already, you know, like, what is it worth, you know? And, and who decides that? And then to put it on a platform where you ask for repeated money, uh, and repeated investment, you know, it's like, well, I don't, you know, I, I, this isn't, you know, me setting the, like the resupply button on some website that like sends me my toilet paper, you know, it's like, this is an artist creating something. And I mean, are, what are you giving me every month for my money? And again, it's like, yeah, it's capitalistic and transactional, but you're, you're the one stepping into that arena when you do that. Yes. So, you know, so, you know, what, do i think it's wrong not not inherently but i i think that it's sometimes there's some hubris involved in thinking that you know what you're doing is has a value that you know it, you're trying to set a
0: value that no, other people haven't necessarily agreed to yet well is music a commodity like art because we don't trade it like we trade art right like uh yeah. recently some Billionaire was a Paul Allen uh, just recently sold his art collection. Uh, I saw that in the news when I went up to the states the other day. Um, so I forget how many ridiculous millions of gajillions of dollars of art that he sold. Yeah. Um, we don't sell music in the same way. No one is selling the first print white album from the beatles no one maybe some reels might sell for some money but they don't even last forever unlike you no. know paintings they, they will fall apart i was i was reading uh, an article about mixing the the uh, justice for all album by metallica and the engineer that worked on it felt that he couldn't remix it because he thought that the tapes would be dust yeah <laughs> 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 but, but why do we still look at music as some sort of commodity?
1: i I think we were given um, a really poor uh, uh, not necessarily understanding, but we accepted a very poor definition of like what music the product was. and we were like, you know in the 50s and i and i've said this before on the show just you know it was all like this this copy paste like a yes. and r guy just gluing boy bands to get like 50s was a terrible decade for music I'll yes I on that fucking hill um because the industry was just like here's a song this guy wrote let's slap it on a you know here's four white kids let's throw them out there and sell it and then it very was Fordist.
0: Just- yes <laughs> very 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 Fordist. and and yeah. motown didn't it, that was a black faced on the same Fordist model yeah. I, I agree with you hard yeah
1: I mean the A and R era was was really awful and actually set the worst it set the tone for the music industry that started the ball downhill that led to where we are and why all of a sudden we're like, what the fuck? But it's like, dude, we weren't supposed to be here. We weren't even this wasn't this isn't how art is. This is just that People with a bunch of money figured out that they could just slap music into into the ears of kids through radio and TV and everything and at the record stores and then those kids would consume it. And what they were buying was plastic and paper, you know, from from the labels, Um, the music existed outside of that. Yes. But, you know, the problem is, is that at the end of the day, like it just gets consumed and forgotten about and, and, you know, gets lost to time and then a handful of you know the biggest bands survive that but um the reality reality is is that music was never really the product it was the image it was the it was the physical you know owning of the item that had the music on it it was um you know even now it's like it's the merch it's the image of the band and and it never you know we But at the same time we were still telling ourselves well the songs are the the product but it's like no they're they're the advertising for the product and the product is everything that you're spending money on around that song and um and the problem is is that you know we decided when digital hit and this is a huge failure by the industry Mm -hmm. um the industry just said you know they're like what the fuck? people are just taking the music for free and they have a way to play it and they don't need to own a CD and they don't need to buy the thing. And the industry, instead of figuring out how to work their model into that, just fought it until they lost. And when they lost, that became the, you know, that became the devaluing of the music. There was just officially music was worthless at that point. And so Now we're kind of on the back end of that where, you know, the people with money have in this, and it's not even the music industry that really developed this like Spotify and stuff. None of that was sprung from the music industry. That was outside capitalists seeing, Mm -hmm. well, if we just sweep all these crumbs together, it makes a loaf of bread. Right. So it's (laughs) like, so they did. And, and that's, you know, that's where we are now. It's and So, and the thing is is that they're not selling us the bread they're just putting the bread on a display shelf and then you know they're selling the concept to people who are willing to give them a bunch of money that's actually quite frightening the
0: way you put that uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a Spotify movie apparently on Netflix um, I, I have not seen it I'm not going to sit here in and line and say I've seen it I watched the trailer for it it looks somewhat interesting but it also looks like a Another version of uh, what was the Facebook Fire movie? Rester. Which huh? one? What was the oh, Facebook movie?
1: Oh, the uh, Social Network or whatever. Social
0: Network, where yeah. oh. you know, it feels like almost a rags to riches or, or almost a Ray Croc <laughs> type story of, of some poor rich guy. Yeah. That uh, yeah. that, that that got his thing off off the ground. Um, I did think it was interesting in that article about Spotify, where they're talking mostly about. How these guys are playing to an empty room and uh spotify sends me a, an email and i haven't put music on spotify in three or four years and they send me an email every month to let me know that no one's listening i need to try harder
1: oh yeah yeah i don't you know i don't i don't even know who's who gets that e- email on my behalf <laughs> i don't get it though but i'm sure i'm sure some of my stuff is getting those emails
0: well, there's sites like Bandcamp, which, uh, for those people that don't know, uh, when you get your music on the Pandora, Spotify, any of these sites, Blast FM, I remember it was the first place I was on years ago. Yeah. Um, you have to go through a distributor who collects copyrights. So anytime your music is played, even if it's your own show, it gets taken down by sites like YouTube yeah which that's the you know YouTube's big thing is is taking down copyrighted material yep and it's... and I've had to argue too many times about uh, my own music on this show so that's why we don't play uh, copyrighted music and sometimes I even have to argue about my own compositions where I literally played all the instruments. And they go nope it's showing up in our algorithm that it's somebody else's so yeah. we're gonna take this show down
1: yeah it's it's wild i mean yeah that stuff's ridiculous i've i've had it happen a couple times and yeah with my own stuff and you know and that <clears throat> gets even stickier for me sometimes because not everything i have is self-published so it's i still retain all my rights but it's you know published through a label and so it's like i have to have the label come like go to bat on my behalf even though they don't retain the rights to the music at all they just were the ones who published it and so it's uh it get yeah it's a mess man i mean digital the digital age is is fantastic for a lot of reasons i, I think accessibility and and the ability to just put music out is great but um you know the, the the machine that surrounds it all just basically is just constantly crushing us
0: well what happens now you made a really interesting point when you talked about in the 50s young people and that that was the whole thing about early quote unquote rock and roll which I, let's not even call it rock and roll early pop music sure because rock and roll is still race music. Let's go back to when rock and roll was race music. So just just to give people an idea of of how segregated and class-based this was in the early days of recorded music. You had race music, which is now rhythm and blues or early rock and roll. You have Latin music, which was a no-no. And you have poor white people music, which was hillbilly music, they called it, which you now call country music, country and Western. And those were three musics that weren't allowed to even get published. Yeah. So even though terrestrial radio is playing music in the the 40s, they're like, we're only going to play music from these ASCAP artists. And to deal with this new... Kind of almost a cottage industry that gets formed With all these other people that are creating music Where there's still An audience for this rhythm and blues Definitely had an audience uh, uh, Country music definitely had an audience And you know of course Latin music has an audience In America But only one place would would Publish them and then still there was certain beef With radio stations we don't want to deal with you But then they got into beef with ASCAP They're like fine we'll play this, this stuff But it still kept the music extremely segregated. Um, Do you want to, you know, kind of expand upon upon that? Because I know you know a lot of the history as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we can really, for me, the, the, I mean, the music industry never really got fully out of that. And and (laughs) it, it just... Kind of changed flavors over time you know and but i mean it it stopped being so explicitly i hate to not, i hate to not say racist because it is but it 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 isn't it it was it, it was they realized like okay i mean money still spoke a little louder than any convictions over segregating the music but um at the end of the day it was still like they were looking for specific things and and again like how the 50s were where they're just gluing songs onto you know groups of kids that can maybe play music i mean most of them weren't even that great and then um you know by the like singer songwriter era which also like not you know certainly talent was a little better on better display at the time but it still was you know heavily biased and and only certain people were were being lifted up by the system and um you know and and you had your motown which was like a black version of the same AR, and r you know glue-in songs to kids problem and uh, arguably better music i mean i'll give you give it that but um the the it, it never stopped being that way though it's just that they realized that some kids were willing to do the work for them and so it was like you know instead of an a and r finding you know four kids that looked the part and could play instruments and maybe a couple that could sing they realized like as the 60s kind of came around that there were kids that would like do all that work themselves and then they could just take the music from them and just you know if they had the image good, then we'll just make the Beatles, you know, but if we, if they don't like, we'll just, you know, do the, the leafy. monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Do the monkeys. Perfect. Perfect example. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's like, and, and um, yeah. And I mean, so that history, like never really stopped. It just morphed a little and it just looked a little different as you got to like the eighties when, you know, especially when the industry was, I mean, Motown, certainly changed the way things happened because they were like, well, okay, white people will b- buy black music by black people instead of black music delivered by white people. And and then, so then they were like, you know, disco era comes around, like the, that momentum keeps going a little bit. And then the eighties, all of a sudden they're like, okay, well like black music is just as marketable as white music but we have to still market it to the white people, you know, because it's like, that's where we want it to be. And so it just stayed that way. So like, I don't, the thing again, yeah. it just, when I look back, like when people complain about the current state, mm-hmm. it's like, yes, it's fucked. I, I, it's fucked, but it's always been fucked. It's always been wrong. Um, is was it possible to make a better living in the past? Uh, I guess, I mean, I started, when you could still sell records and and it was easier for sure but at the same time it's like it depends on what your goals are you know like do do i have more control over what i do now yeah i have a lot more control over what i do um i don't have to please anyone with what i write i don't have to um you know i don't need approval for what i do um and and so I don't know. I know it's kind of a tangent off of where you started me, but, uh, you know, I just, I think it's always been bad and we need to not forget that because um, it's that, that stupid, you know, coloring of nostalgia that we get where we just are like, well, remember back when, you know, (laughs) like $3 million to make a record. It's like, yeah Yeah, but like that that was like one in a billion bands that could do something like that like thank you what were the working artists doing back then they were doing nothing because no one heard them and Mm -hmm. they played bars until they gave up and like that's why it's different now it's like at least you know i mean i know local bands that have been around since the 90s that are still local bands but they at least get to put out their records you know so yeah
0: that's that's kind of to me you know at 45, I've found that certain inner peace with the fact that I can put out what I want to put out when I want to put it out, but I'm not going to be famous. And I think most people that put out music for public consumption, most, if you're really trying, you know, you're touring, you're doing, trying to get press and all that good stuff, you, you want to probably be somewhat famous. You may not admit that out loud, <laughs> You may say that you don't want all the accolades, but it's like, then why do you do it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you don't want to be famous, like you're going to be, you know, writing, you're going to be composing soundtracks or something or doing, yeah. you know, straight to media music, like video game soundtracks or something. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, getting up on stage and putting that kind of effort in, like you're, you're trying to get some kind of recognition. I mean, I, you know, I'm not too too humble to admit that
0: (laughs) (laughs) i can i can get it now on a much smaller level and i'm totally fine with that i'm not gonna lie i don't know how you feel um there's definitely a lot i miss playing live um i found myself even missing driving um driving we did a live show recently for, for you know me and ben burgess and some other shows did a live show in la and uh it was it was a lot of fun and driving there felt like a tour drive even though i was in my hyundai <laughs> with just a couple <laughs> people in it but it, it had the same feeling but walking on stage um to a golf clap is a lot different than you know When the downbeat comes on and all dark and you start you know screaming and going going nuts with your friends um so i i get i get it you know like i I just think people don't want to admit like dude i totally dig it (laughs) (laughs) i want to be a little more famous
1: (laughs) yeah i mean and you know i've had the the kind of my career was always like you know do people recognize me walking down the street now do people recognize me outside the venue when i'm playing somewhere sometimes yeah you know and mm-hmm. and like that was like that was where i loved that was the space i liked you know and, and it's and again it's i mean it, it's a little self-absorbed and and but everyone likes that feeling uh, you know where someone appreciates what you do and they like want to you know take a picture with you or ask for an autograph or something and um you know so like it's silly to think that that's not part of what drives you to do that because again like i i think the most um really the the most like self self-absorbed perspective on this would be like no i don't do it for the recognition i only do it because the music needs to live in you know the money, <laughs> You know the best shit. that's the most jerk off dude like fucking. Just go up and, like, I, you know, I hope I impress, like, five people in this room tonight. Like, that's my thing. Like, I don't, yeah. like, I don't, like, fucking my music is has never been, you know, high art. It's been stuff that I just did from the heart, and, like, I hope people like it and, you know, vibe on it and stuff, but it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's silly to think that there's, like, you don't want recognition for it because if you don't then you wouldn't you literally why the fuck did you walk out on that stage
0: oh yeah dude it's it's i can't stand um people so i'm getting teased from um one of the people that is has is off tonight um one of the the show producers is off tonight uh, m tucson says i take one day off and you guys let jason masquerade around like he's maxwell <laughs> What's that Soul Quarian hat about? Oh, in Tucson, it's a little chilly here in my concrete home. And uh Yes, and Jordan Dubin, who was in the car. She is the live show producer, was in the car with me as I was playing uh Zao at very uh loud levels and driving maybe a little too fast on the freeway. So She also knows what tour driving is all about now. Um, But I I do want to ask you about this. And this is going to sound like an old guy ranting, and I don't care. All right. I am an old guy. We're going to rant. There was still, even though we bought this plastic and paper that the, the industry gave us as the representation of music, we actually had ownership If you will. Of these songs. And we made. Trips sometimes. To record stores. Um, I've mentioned this on the show before. Um, We asked the record store person. About certain genres of stuff. And they could point us in the right direction. Of what was cool. Or maybe your record store had the staff picks. We don't have that anymore. Music is way more disposable, I think, in this era than it was in the era of people actually physically owning CDs, records, and cassettes. Do you feel that same way, or do you feel that that disposability hasn't really changed? Uh, No, I
1: think. I, I mean, I I think there's a distinct difference and. Um, and a lot of it boils, I mean, a lot of it boils down to like, yeah, there's the nostalgia. Like I can remember the specific experience of, of certain albums I've bought. Like I have very specific core memories about purchasing certain albums in my lifetime. Um, uh, like for instance, 1989, October of 1989 in San Francisco, I went to Aquarius records with my dad He took me in there and I found Faith No More on a local band shelf. Mm. I bought um, the album, uh, introduce yourself. And that was my introduction to that band who became a personal favorite, lifelong personal favorite band. Um, and that like, there is not an analog to that in the digital era. Like I have discovered some bands I love on, um, on on digital i've discovered lots of great bands on on platforms and you know and that's good too like bands i probably would have never heard of if i hadn't uh, been on a digital platform but i will never have the memory of like you know walking into a record store finding something that i only bought mind you based on just the, the recommendation that it was a rock band (laughs) <laughs> that was a local band, and I was in San Francisco, and I was like, I'm not, you know, I want to get a band that nobody that yeah. I know would have heard, yeah. and like, that's that's what I had, and this was on tape too, and so so it, that was like, um, you know, that sort of thing is just very like formative, and I don't think there's any way to get that with with the modern day, like the, you had to put effort into finding music, you had to put effort into. You know, buying it you had to have money for it when we were kids like you know it, that was like a big deal you know for me i mean buying a record was it was never a cheap proposition i mean no. it was like i had to have some money to to spend and i would like earmark my own money specifically for <laughs> one album in you know two months sometimes like it was it could be really hard to do you know and as a teenager i spent basically all the money i made at jobs on on music stuff on if it wasn't records it was you know music gear and stuff but Mm. i mean that that like and nowadays it's like yeah i just i float past songs like you know a million a day it feels like
0: sometimes and i don't even you know i'm like oh that's cool and i don't remember the song five minutes later i I, yeah i feel that you know so i didn't do and i don't know anyone listening to the show anyone listening to the show right now and anyone's going to listen to it later please leave a comment and let me know if you ever did this i would love to know if you did this and what your experience was like did you ever do the penny a month columbia house <laughs> or a penny for 12 tapes yeah. or whatever it was yep yeah you had okay. to like
1: tape the penny to the the card <laughs> and like, I, had, I had to actually put an actual yeah penny. it made you mail them a penny um yeah oh i did that i i'm sure so somewhere in the annals of history there's like a string of collection notices for 14 year old Pascual romero like i it took
0: him years to get his credit right people by
1: the way. yeah hey man like you 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 let you let a teenager do this so it's on you man well, you know I, I didn't know
0: that those were different cassettes than the actual cassettes yeah yeah like they wouldn't have liner notes in them and
1: yeah which were, liner
0: notes for me is how i discovered bands
1: yeah you
0: yeah. know the liner notes for those early metallica and megadeth records were were like um a who's who for me like okay if they said oh, yeah. this band and then, you know i got to go check about this band and okay they said Las Rock, Rocks so I gotta go meet. I ended up getting to know some of these people in real life living at that studio which was pretty cool. Oh yeah. Oh, because yeah. my first instinct was to be like you were the liner nose to kill them <laughs> 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 Holy moly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but I want to know if you guys had experience doing that and what was your experience for what they suggested you should listen to because i remember when i did it they sent me i did it as, as a as an adult I, I was 21 i got married okay. young and i remember i they sent me um diabolus and musica diabolus mm-hmm. and musica that whatever slayer record yeah. and um then they sent me black street oh okay <laughs> <laughs> uh. two albums that i never bother listening to yeah. But it's kinda like the you know, kinda like what we were I was reading earlier about the, the lie of the curated experience by Spotify yeah. and, and Pandora. You know, you're definitely gonna get a lot of the same songs, which is frustrating because the article started off, the one that I, I had sent you, and it's called Statistically No One Is Listening. A hundred Spotify hit the hundred thousand uploads a day mark. Yep. Every day, seven days a week, a hundred thousand songs are uploaded onto Spotify a Day. And I know some of those songs have to be in the trip hop <laughs> instrumental oh, genre. Yeah. It's like five
1: thousand EDM songs.
0: They send me the same twenty. Yeah. <laughs> I get the same. Now I have discovered uh, an artist here or there. Um, generally, it's stuff I just missed. You know, I, I, one thing I do like about these streaming services is that I can go back for the whatever nine dollars that I pay and listen to stuff that I didn't really think was cool when I was younger or had the ability, like you said, have the money to buy. Like, no. I always wanted early Def Leppard stuff. Oh yeah, but it's like you know when you got to make that choice. Leprosy, yep. High and dry. (laughs) Chuck's winning every time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Every time. That's
1: that's 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 literally like an that is an, an experience that in yeah like. I can relate to fully because that that's exactly how it was for me like and i was a kid that i did take some pretty wild swings when i'd go to the record store a lot of it had to do with just the fact that there were you know discounted records and and so like you know like for instance when i got into sepultura i went to get um i guess it would have been a rise at the time and and that fantastic legendary record but um, but that record was, it, it, it was, it was like, you know, 14 bucks. And, um, and, uh, uh, the, and I'm spacing out on the name. It was like their very first one, which is like a split EP kind of thing. And, um, where the Troops of Doom was on it, but it was a really early, really bad recording of it. And, um, and it was like their first like basement tape record. And, um, and I bought that and morbid visions that's what it was called and uh and like it sounded terrible and and the recording was awful but i knew songs that none of my friends knew because i had their first like their first demo it's like getting know.
0: haunting the chapel right yeah
1: yeah <laughs> and, and so it was kind of cool but at the same time like i it took me a while to get up to speed with a lot of bands because i was buying the you know, bargain basement stuff but at the same time when the stuff once i was really into a band anytime new stuff came out that was like what i got and that was to the detriment of discovering back catalogs. And nothing yeah. I liked was on the radio. I mean, some of it was, but you know, it, it, everything I really liked at that time was, you know, way too subversive. And um, we we did have a, a uh, the college station did have it still does to this day. KUNM has uh, a show called Tombstone Rock on Wednesday nights. Oh, it's metal. Yeah, it's 10 p.m. to like 2 a.m. or something, and it's like death metal, like super heavy stuff. So I discovered a lot of bands that way. I would literally just run, I'd get blank tapes and just record the whole thing every single week. And, uh, but other than that, yeah, my exposure was really limited because, you know, people who were into that music, it was a small group of friends, like we'd exchange tapes and, you know, tape them off of each other and stuff. But at the same time, we also, even back then understood, like if we like a band, we got to like support them. So we try to buy the records at the very least, buy tickets and go see the shows, you know. But you know, I don't know. That's that's. Uh, I guess I don't know. This is gonna be the old guys waxing nostalgic it's, episode.
0: It's, it's, <laughs> it is what it is, and I think there's some importance in thinking about you know these eras of the past and and where we are today and how much things haven't really changed that much. I was talking with a a friend I've made here. She's she's a little older than you and I. She's in her 50s, but she was a a rocker chick back in the day in SoCal she sadly is deported down here and she was telling me about she saw Kerrang! magazine in the record store back in the 80s she said this must have been like 87 and she said it was bigger than anything else any in the any other magazines and in it there was a pen pal section <laughs> and for those that don't know Kerrang! is a a UK based heavy music publication so back in the day the way people heard new bands was through pen pals i believe that's how like lars ulrich met like motorhead or something like that through some <laughs> pen pal fan club shit well and so she didn't have the money to buy the magazine she said it was an import so it was expensive so she just got a pen and paper and wrote down <laughs> all the addresses in the <laughs> pen pal section and she wrote to some people and uh, it, she goes they send her music and she was discovering all these cool heavy bands all these cool heavy punk bands you know she was her first time meeting like vegan you know straight edge hardcore people before there was a term for vegan straight edge hardcore you know, you know, this is the that era. We're not quite the end of history era. And she actually ended up meeting. She says she's still to this day friends with one of the pen pals she made <laughs> in, in this, you know, from taking addresses off of the back of a magazine. Wild. Um, to the point where she actually submitted her own ad uh, for for pen pals in the magazine, which I think is interesting because I don't. I don't even see us in this era getting in a group <laughs> to discover new music or meet people with with uh, like minded interests. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, I I don't I don't know what
1: I don't know what that looks like these days. I mean, I got a neighbor kid who's like 20 years old, and he's a little metalhead, and and he has like a little band and stuff, but um but yeah he like i mean he loves talking about music and stuff but i'm like but how are you like discovering it and he's like oh just you know go on spotify and like look for what's recommended or go on youtube and it's like man like but what do your friends like talk about
0: he's like oh
1: (laughs) yeah man you're in a band and you guys aren't talking about what you're listening to man (laughs) kids these days i don't know
0: i thought that's all what you do when you're at band practice is talk about whose album sucks yeah that's yeah Pretty much. And then you rip them off. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking
1: Pantera riff sucks. Listen, I fixed it. You're <laughs> <laughs> just going to play it backwards and yeah. three, four times.
0: <laughs> and that makes... Yeah. <laughs> Someone's... Jordan is joking. Uh, you can tell Jason never goes on Discord. I don't go on Discord. Because... I don't believe people are looking for like-minded community i believe people are looking to call the people assholes oh yeah <laughs> so i don't i get called an asshole enough through my email in the comments section oh, yeah. <laughs> so i don't need to subject myself to any more name calling we're coming for you nigga that's how i feel whenever i go on discord <laughs> has anything yeah, changed oh sorry I had to turn oh no head no head. go ahead go ahead has anything changed in the music industry as far as the power that the labels wield in you
1: uh yeah a lot has changed they've gotten more powerful i mean it's <laughs> they the, it's funny because they've gotten less um economically powerful Maybe the, that's not really the right word. It, they still have all the spending power, but, um, you know, they, they, you know the, the birth of the 360 deal is a perfect example of labels getting more power. Now, don't get me wrong. These existed in the 50s. I mean, this is something yes. that's kind of always existed, but the way they've leveraged them since the digital age um, has it far exceeded what um how it i guess maybe how it impacted bands because the way it was you know 60 years ago 70 years ago was bad because the label just owned everything you did but you also just kind of signed on to do that it was like yeah you play these songs you tour all over the place and we pay you you know 75 dollars a week or whatever it was you know And and it's like okay i mean i it's stupid but okay, if that's the system, that's the system, but, you know, there's, doesn't seem to be a lot of pretense, but nowadays it's like, yeah, we'll put your record on Spotify and we'll market it in online, uh, uh, magazines and, you know, we'll get you some, uh, features on, you know, revolver or something and, and, uh, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, you get featured on like some Spotify playlists and this and that. And then, you know, all we ask of you is all the money back that we give you to do this, which is not much to begin with. It's like, you know, a few grand usually per album. And then on top of that, they're like, Oh, and also, you know, we need like a massive cut of your merch and we own rights to your branding and we take cuts of your tours that, you know, if you're lucky, you're not already spending money to be on with buy ons and stuff. Um, so it's really, uh, I, I think they've become more insidious because they've had less ability to leverage music itself as a product, you know. And so, um, you know, because they're not, no, nobody's pressing, you know, three million units to ship out to stores anymore. And so now it's like, well, we'll publish you, you know, we'll we'll have an intern at a warehouse publish you to Spotify, and then you know, we, you owe us everything and you're going to tour and come home with, you know, you're going to feel like you have some money and realize that, you know, you just spent eight weeks on the road for a thousand dollars and you're, you know, and you're going to just repeat that cycle until you give up on it, you know, and, and that's why I think, yeah, the labels honestly gained power by this situation. Um, the flip side of it is they have less power over artists to begin with. Um, Because you just don't have to play the game anymore. It's really like not even, in my opinion, unless you have something that truly is already going viral and you're making money off of like YouTube with your music video or something. And then a label comes in and says, well, we can amplify this X amount and you just give us X amount of what you make you know, yeah, that, that would probably work because they know they're getting in business with someone who's already making money. But if you're, you know, just any small band, like the, frankly, the last thing you should be doing is trying to get signed. You should be trying to figure out a way to get popular without getting signed. And, you know, you can, you can literally just email revolver magazine. You can just be like, Hey, what's it going to take for me to get like, you know, a, a, a banner on one of your articles or something you know and they they will take your money like they don't care and and it's not like the 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 ability to do that stuff is not exclusive to the labels anymore so you know i, I don't know like i think that yeah they they have less power less power in trying to leverage you to f- it, it, you know you you don't have to feel like that's a goal anymore like getting signed doesn't mean shit anymore so just if, if you're, if you go into it with that mentality, they have zero power over you. But if you're those kids that just are like, yeah, it's going to be like Motley Crue when we get signed, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, dude, you're gonna you're in for a horrible time, man. You're going to, you're going to reach your mid thirties before you realize how badly you've sunk. And then you're going to have to start your life over, figure out how to be because, an adult. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. they're still going to own your shit. So, you know, it's like,
0: yeah, well, there is still something to be said about the ability to get into these places because I still think there's some bit of gatekeeping in the sense of um, PR companies, I think, wield a certain amount of of interesting power when it comes to getting you in certain publications. And to your point about getting uh, you on a playlist or on sure. the online version of a, of a big uh, publication in your genre. Uh, that still costs quite a bit of money, you know, yeah. hundreds, uh, if not thousands of dollars uh, per month um, yeah. that you pay a PR company. And some of these PR companies, it feels like there's a mill system where if you pay a certain amount, you're at a certain tier, then the, because the whole idea of being a no-name with the PR companies that the PR company feels that you are a viable talent, And you mesh well with what they do and they have a bigger artist who they can leverage to get you publicity. If you want this exclusive from Justin Broderick, well, you got a deal. You have to listen to uh, Jason and Cindy's album. You don't have to like it. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely aren't giving it a glowing review if you don't like it, but you have to listen to it and you will write a review about it. So you can get this exclusive. Right. Um, which is, you know, why people want to deal with PR. But it feels like there's even less of that. Like a, like when I say mill, I mean, like here I paid you my six hundred dollars a month, whatever I can afford. And you're going to get me uh, the revolver website, which no one really goes to, is going to play. My song for a month. And if I don't have the money to constantly pay you my six hundred dollars then, uh, that once that month is up, so is your care for me. And so is everyone's interests, uh, in me. Sure. Sure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, um, well in the PR industry is, it is in a weird place right now. Like you could do a whole episode about that specifically and where that's gone, (laughs) but, um, where, where the, uh, you know, it, right now, like it's such a hot market that there are PR companies or or PR companies that are that are geared towards just like you know being like, hey, like you know, pay us one hundred fifty dollars a month and like you get this many plays and this many. Like they're they're basically trying to game the system on your behalf, and then they will like get you on playlists and get you in you know certain little features and stuff. But they just like do this shotgun approach. Like at my inbox on Instagram is like just my all the those filtered out yeah. <laughs> emails. It's yeah. just all of those people all the time. Oh, we we can you know we can get you you know th- this much uh, uh, engagement and we can get you all these <laughs> you know comments and this love stuff. your music. <laughs> yeah, and it's like dude, like what, what do you do? You even know who I am? Like are you know? And I know you don't. It's just that I have one of those those profiles that that's a music page. And so they just shotgun at people like me and, you know, me. I just, I'm like, dude, I, it's not even, I'm not in the market. I haven't been in the market for a long time. And, and, you know, but that, so there's like that whole tier. And then there's the tier of people that do have larger clients and do leverage that. Um, and they they'll work with you as an independent artist. I mean, almost all of them will, but, um, but the problem is, is that yeah, you're gonna be paying, you know, label prices
0: for stuff and and label prices are not we were paying so so Pasquale knows me from my my previous band uh, with with my ex, uh, Le Fin Absolute du Monde. Um and, the, and that this poster behind me is still one of my favorite shows. Oh yeah, show that was fun. Yeah, that was um but uh we were paying, I think, and it was like a hookup deal. Because we knew someone that knew someone that knew someone at this PR company that worked with Swans. mm Okay. Um, and then Billy Gould from Faith No More knew him, and he gave us, like, oh, these people are, are legit. Um, But it was, like, $1,500 a month. Yeah. And we were legit struggling artists living in this fucking warehouse touring way too much. Yeah. For you know, two poor old people <laughs> living in a van and shit. Yep, and 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 uh, it wasn't like Swans was putting anything out at the time. You know, that's another right. thing to think about when you're dealing with the PR company. And and God bless the woman that dealt with us. You know, she's a saint, <laughs> she got us a lot of features. We got featured in stuff, we that still shocks me to this day sadly yeah. i'd lost a lot of that stuff um but oh dude yeah pr is that that we should do an episode one day on uh, on pr itself oh yeah god <laughs> that, you want you know, that's that business the
1: ind- industry's dirty but boy it gets real dirty over there Ooh, <laughs> i don't
0: think people really understand no like exactly how dirty that shit is yep <laughs> Because like when you say paying label prices for PR, like oof, yeah, yeah, good PR is expensive,
1: and and the only reason labels, I mean, again, like, you know, I, I'm talking about labels like Prosthetic Records and Century Media and stuff like these. These are really by, well, Century Media is pretty big by today's standards, but but you know, a lot of like Prosthetic is a great example. Like they're not they're not really a big label per se. Um, very small crew of people running that. Um, but the, you know, the way they get their PR strength is by being willing to pay premium, you know, top dollar for their biggest artists. And then, you know, using that, using their biggest artists to leverage PR firms or or whoever their marketing partners are to, to say, okay, well, like, we're going to, you know, you guys will get these guys. They make you guys money, but you guys need to, you know, throw these five bands into the mix so that they can also be lifted, you know, by, by our heavy here. And, and like, so they are, you know, if those little bands independently were trying to pay for it, yeah, it's like 1500 bucks a month or something, but you know, because they're lumping them in with their bigger guys, like they're getting a, you know, it's a much better deal for the label. Cause again, they have the buying power. So they, they you know, they'll pay six grand a month to cover like a huge swath of their roster, you know? And, and that's, that's the big difference and and arguably probably one of the only places that labels still have any real leverage, you know, because again, and especially in the genres we, we exist in, it's never been big money. It's there has never like, like if there is, A millionaire in death metal, it's not from death metal. Like, it's
0: (laughs) (laughs) that person married rich,
1: (laughs) or it's like Tosin, or someone you know, rich kid.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you talked about this on the last episode. If you guys haven't heard the last episode with uh, with Pasquale Romero, please go back and listen to it. I wish MT was here to post the older episode, but uh, where we talked about that a lot of these people can stay alive. Mm -hmm as the, as with a changing industry where you don't have the same revenue streams, um, or you, or you're not even getting played on radio because they come from money. Yeah. yeah. Most bands that you still hear like, Oh, this band's still not Yeah, They come from money. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. And you, you'll see it, man. Um, I mean, the, you know, in Tosa, like, don't get me wrong. I really, I like Tosa, the guy, very nice guy. Um, also, uh insanely talented musician um Mm -hmm. but you know so he's put in that work but he also is just well off to begin with like he drives a very expensive sports car and i positive it's not animals is leader's money i'm positive it's not selling guitars money um you know and i know his brother's like a fashion designer in new york and you know they're also a notorious group for being you know affluent kids to begin with but um but and not to throw him under the bus. I mean, it's, there's a bunch of them, the guys from periphery Misha, uh, that, that kid's like, he drives like a Lamborghini. It's like periphery does not sell Lamborghini records. Like, and, and, you know, they're, they're popular, but it, again, it's a genre that's not that well off. The problem to me is that you go to their Instagram and they don't, try to delineate like yeah. where that Lamborghini got paid for. Yeah. And, and I'm like, dude, like, you, I mean, maybe you're making some decent money now. Cause you've got like Dawes that you're selling and stuff. But I mean, like the core of what you're doing is you're not making millions of dollars selling death metal or not, you know, prog metal records. Um, and, you know, it's, I don't know. I guess it is a little offensive just but again it's also like it's image they're selling their image that way that's that's how they want to be you know they want to they want people to think that that's how they're living as a result of their music and you know i mean i get where the temptation comes from again we were all a bunch of kids raised on you know motley crew and shit and, motley Crue like,
0: and and reaganism right we can't forget man. those two things yeah like, those, <laughs> like let, there'd, be,
1: there'd be no motley crew without reagan man no Molly Crew without Reagan. Yep. And that's, yep.
0: that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. Uh, you know, I, we, we are over an hour right now, so this is this is free champagne for everyone. We still are going right. to go to the champagne room. At least I am. I can't speak for Pasquale. I'm definitely going to do the champagne room, but I want to give over. you guys some, some free champagne for a little bit uh, with this question. You mentioned this, and I think this is very important, and, I, and I'm mad we, we kept skipping over this. That era that singer-songwriter burgeoning hippie movement era this very self-important era an era i've written about the last thing i wrote about was about this moment um where this is the age of important music and the bob Dylans of the world and the the carol kings of the world that uh, carol king starts off in a mill yep she starts off in a songwriting mill yep um who becomes you know legendary singer songwriter carol king um, so important with it. Like any white person with an acoustic guitar and a frilly shirt and maybe one of those leather jackets with the fringes. Yep. Uh, you're 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 doing something important. And if you sound like this, and then you know you're you're really important. Yeah. Um I I feel like that's also this moment where marketing for the whole. You know Adam Curtis talks about it in Century of the Self goes away, and now we can market towards the individual, yeah and and these guys were all about being individuals playing the same three chords, yeah
1: <laughs> they were extremely individual in in being individually monolithic
0: you know. <laughs> Like no one busted out an accordion with all that. I was like, wait, why don't we uh, turn up the BPMs in this? We can do the same thing with. Lo-. No, no, no. <laughs> We're all gonna look exactly the same. Yep. As we reject your normativity. Right. Yeah.
1: I know like the, if you, any picture of Woodstock, it's like they literally cut and paste the fa- same five people. And like, I swear it's like a simulation of a crowd. Like I'm like, it's that all the same guy? It's
0: weird. And, and what's interesting to me is that, you know, if you talk about this era, you know, you mentioned it earlier when we been talking about this, how this era of music was really segregated to the people that could afford it. You know, kind of yeah. say way we talk about, uh news stations and why they market towards older people because they can afford the advertising. Yeah. So we want people that can afford the concert ticket and the album and you know we're not selling merchandise at this level, but that's the consumer we're looking for. Yeah. And this new important music still spoke to that consumer in my opinion. Do you disagree? No, no. I mean
1: I think that's pretty right on the money. I mean, I don't
0: know. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. the the it's just the the middle class cat just changed his outfit. Yeah. He Took off his Letterman jacket for the fringy jacket. Yeah. Because the fringy jacket said, "I'm not going to Vietnam." Right. <laughs> That's what that said. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, like I I always think about, you know, my uh, my father um, who was, uh, you know, a big, you know, big music fan in the 60s and um, saw a lot of the greats live and and, um, you know, was part of the counterculture. But like he was, you know, over over there on the Chicano revolution side and you know, that side just did not have anything that spoke to it at that time. And, and, you know, and, and black revolution didn't either really, you know, it was like those cultures, they were trying to like fold them into the, you know, look at Woodstock, like Woodstock's a perfect example. Like you've got guys like Jimi Hendrix and Carlos Santana Mm -hmm. and like, they're not speaking to the roots they came from. They're speaking to the crowd in front of them, which is, mostly kids who are like, I'm not going to the war. It's like, you weren't going in the first place. Like you're, you're not, you weren't going to go like my dad, like his generation of, of Chicanos are going to go like Jimi Hendrix, all his, his generation of black kids are all going, getting their asses shot off. Like you guys are not the demographic. Like they, they know how to pick around you guys like, and, and like, good for you for being against it. Like, I'm not going to begrudge you that opinion, but like, you know but then that's been politics this whole fucking time so i mean that's a that's you know its own thing but it's it's just that i, I don't know like like that whole that whole singer songwriter era to me was just again it's like the industry knew what it was doing and the people who were eating it up were just you know just morphing through you know they're just morphing through the 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 phases you know and it's that's how it's always been um you know and and it's it it's i don't know like is there truly a counterculture in pop culture at all like it's i don't know
0: that's the one question i've been asking uh myself and i've been trying to literally figure that out uh, in all seriousness is there really a counterculture or is there just a series of little cottage industries you know right you know finding out that rhythm and blues and all this other music you know even down the country Had an audience but not the right audience And then once it got to the point Where it had a right audience Then it just gets folded into You know the mainstream Punk to me is the same way You know once those guys get the ability To play uh, Corporate venues And get sponsorship deals And everything else Major label deals They all take them So were they really so antithetical to the man Or was it just a good selling point for a bunch of uh angry young people that were seeing a declining piece of a pie. Yeah. You know, they ended up wanting that pie. <laughs> they didn't want to make a new one for the world. They just wanted, no. you know, their slice. And that, that that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Um and uh and why I'm so depressed all the time. And it makes it sad uh Video essays. But that being said, (laughs) his name is Pasquale Romero, and he is in a band called Devil's Throne with his wife. I think there's other people, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just played all the instruments themselves. (laughs) There's there's a rotating
1: cast of other people. Not
0: really, but sometimes. Like you guys really don't need any help. Yeah. And if you follow Pasquale on social media, sometimes you can see him. play his guitar which he is an amazing guitar player uh, amazing thanks, bass man. player um i am extremely jealous <laughs> i'm coming for you <laughs> you better be man i'm coming for you thank you guys for hanging out with us uh we will be going and you gonna yeah. hang out with me in the champagne room for a little bit yeah yeah i'll
1: hang talk out talk
0: some a shit long. sure this shit on some hippies we're gonna shit on hippies <laughs> <in> the, <champagne laughs> you know, the,
1: the shit on hippies room
0: <laughs> we'll shit on hippies And we'll talk about uh, Something I want to talk to Pasquale about Sexism In the 90s Ooh. Lorena Bobbitt OJ I Watched a documentary I was in tears watching this documentary So I want to I wanna give you I wanna, I'm going to ask you some questions Thank you so much, Tucson. Are you going to join us for our conversation about uh, women in the '90s? If you join us, Tucson, I'll talk about my. I'll 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 leave little clips about my my weekend getaway in Mexican wine country. Thank you Sai, so much. We'll see you soon in the Champagne Room. We are out.